Welcome back to the Time for Heroes podcast. Right, uh, welcome back to the podcast. This week's guest is Richard Day from the Edge of Arcade music blog. We're going to talk about his blog. Before that, we're going to get right back to the start and what life was like for a young Richie and take it from there. We're just going to get right through. So just to start off with, I just tell us where you grew up and what life is like for you. Hi there. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in North Devon, um, small little fishing village called Appledore um, on the North Devon coast. And the biggest thing about it is probably about 45 minutes from the nearest motorway. Um, so it's really in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I grew up kind of listening to music, really. That was my main passion, my main interest from about the age of so I was 13, really. Um, my brother bought um, What a Story, Mono Glory by Oasis. Um, mm. I really got into that. Um, then got into the whole Britpop thing. That would have been around the time, yeah, not about 1996, 1997. So what age did um, you mean then? So I was in 1996, I was 13. Right, just um, a couple of years younger so, than me. Yeah, so you'd have been into the whole getting into the music around the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I got into all those bands, like I say, about 1996, 1997. Um, the first gig I ever went to, I went to see Oasis at Exeter West Point. Um, and then that was when I was 14, closely followed by kind of all the bands who were touring, like uh, the Exeter kind of way, um, drive down to, to gigs there. Um, yeah, so it kind of got into music. In that way, um, the bit, the first band I really got into for myself was Manic Street Preachers. Um, so I'm a bit of a Manic fan even now. That's kind of lasted with me from then into into adulthood. Um, try and get to see them whenever I can. Um, yeah, I really, really got into the Manics in a big way. Um, there was something about the Manics, I think, kind of that spoke to what I was experiencing living in Devon. Um, they're from a, a little town in, in the middle of Wales, which is where I live now, uh, Blackwood. Kind of, they talked about it as being in the middle of nowhere, like no one ever going to Blackwood, no one really knowing where it was. And I kind of felt uh, an affinity with that, really, being from North Devon. Um, it kind of felt like the same thing. Um, the uh, the one industry in North Devon as well, in Appledore even, there was a, a shipyard nearby um, that was kind of, Everyone from that village kind of worked there um, or, or knew people had family work there. So my dad worked at the, at the shipyard from, but basically that was his only job um, from the time he left school when he was 18, um, right up to he retired kind of in his, his 40s from ill health. Um, but yeah, everyone kind of worked there and it was kind of going through periods of being kind of closed down, shut down. It felt like the industry was kind of being taken away from the area. And, and again, that was something that I got from the Manics when they talked about like the mining being taken away from South Wales. I kind of, again, felt a real affinity to that band, really. Um, and then from them, I the Manics are a kind of band where you, you, you kind of, build a, a life around them really a lifestyle you kind of take bits and pieces from what they say different books to read different bands to listen to 
Mm-hmm. So from them, I was digging out copies of like London Calling by The Clash when I was like 16, 17, um, getting into the whole sort of punk movement as well. I was never really a punk <laughs> in the way that, you, you know, I would, I'd never kind of wear the punk clothes and things, but I just love the music, the sounds of like the Sex Pistols and The Clash and, and all those groups. Um, and as well from, from that, I, I listened to, I kind of read the books that the Manics talked about as well. Um, and, you know, all, all of the authors, all the writers that the Manics talked about. And also through them, I kind of really, I, I'm a bit of a child of the rock music biography too. So um, from the Manics, I would read uh, like everything, a book about the Manics, like the Manics biography written by Simon Price. Um and uh, whatever biographies were there, loads of music biographies, basically. I've just really dug into them. Um, watching the film from the Fury, the, the Sex Pistols film, kind of really into that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I kind of just got into music in that kind of way, really. Right. Was there no inclination to play music or anything like that? To be honest, it's a funny one. I, I, I not, not massively. I kind of... When I was about 16, 17, I picked up a bass guitar um, mm-hmm. and I did play bass for a couple of years. I was sort of in bands on and off with, with some friends who lived not nearby, but nothing came of it. Um, there were, and none of my, neither of my parents played guitars, um, but there were like acoustic guitars around the house. I think that's kind of a, <laughs> a normal thing for a lot of households. But uh, I, I can remember kind of picking them up and, and trying to give them a strum, but never really got into playing them. Also, I, I had keyboard lessons when I was a kid as well, but never never really took to it. I could play the basics, but that was about all. So, yeah, I never actually learned to play anything. I, I never really got into playing music, but it was just listening to it like I really liked. Um, I think when I was growing up as well, my dad would always have Radio Devon playing and they would play all of these old, old kind of 60s and 50s songs. Like I, I'd say old songs. They were, um, yeah. They kind of yeah. seem like, they, they, if you listen to an old radio station, they say like golden oldies kind of thing in the 90s <laughs> and the noughties. That was the kind of music they listened to. But, um, but yeah, I guess looking back on it now, there's a lot of, I guess they did include things like the Beatles and those kind of groups there. But when you're a kid, like a, a teenager, for me, it was like, I don't want to listen to any of that. I want to listen to the music that's out now that, that I'm enjoying at the moment. Um, I kind of felt a distance there, but I suppose, mm. yeah, I kind of look back at some of those bands, some of that music now and think actually that was yeah. decent. <laughs> I, I think we were we were pretty lucky as well, kind of, when we grew up with, with Brackpot, because it was, it was like what our parents grew up with in the 60s, so it was our own time. There, there were so many bands. I, I kind of spend a lot of time trying to compare these bands to who they would have been in the 60s. So, like, obviously, Oasis were always uh, the Beatles. And, like, if you look at Blur, mm-hmm. I always think of Blur as the Kinks and um, Coolish yeah. Acre, like Jimi Hendrix, stuff like that, cast. I always thought he cast as like the who, so I there yeah. was so many and they were all kind of it was it was the same sort of ethos as back in the sixties, so it's, it was it was nice just to have our own party music, wasn't it? I think so. It was like the sixties coming back round again, really, wasn't it? At that point, I remember a lot of. I remember when I was a kid, you'd watch the um, 
I think the Beatles released like a compilation at that point, and there was a TV program to go with it. I kind of remember that. The anthology. Yes, that's the yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I've got the I've got the book, big massive book. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like a bible. It's got everything. It's got the Beatles or all the old stuff right from the start, right through to right the Hamburg sessions, right through to the end. It's brilliant. Um, I have I think I had the CD yeah, as well, was... but you get the DVDs and everything there. Like yeah, I feel like that was kind of the first sort of Beatles resurgence after the sixties, I suppose, when when everything came out with that in the nineties. Yeah. Because they, they they released a couple of tunes as well, didn't they? They released um, "Free as a Bird" and "Real Love." Yeah, yeah. If you weren't playing music as such, and obviously nowadays you're writing us um, writing us music blog. So, what was school like? Mm-hmm. Were you were you anti English at school? Were you doing writing at school? So writing was my kind of thing, really. I was more into the English um, side of it, and, and like I say, reading too. Um, so, yeah, I, I was enjoying writing. I wrote little stories and things for myself. But what I wanted to do after school was I I wanted to go into music journalism or to go into journalism um, yeah. in that route. Um, and that's something, obviously, I never did that kind of full time as an employment, but I, I, that's what I enjoy doing on the blog. I kind of went down another route. Um, so when I was 18, I went to uni uh, in Hertfordshire um, and I was studying English literature at uni and um, yeah, I studied English literature at uni, kind of hoping to go into journalism or something afterwards, but it didn't go that way. Um, so when I was a, in studying English literature, it was in Watford actually, not in London, it's on the outskirts of London, probably about, mm-hmm. uh, well, it's a half an hour train journey from London. Um, so I found myself always going back and forth on the train into London to go to different gigs and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where my story sort of started really, was going back and forth to gigs in London. Um, around that time, that was in 2001 when I went to uni. Um, and that was the time when the strokes were kicking off, when the white stripes and, and all of that kind of music was coming yeah. over to the UK. Um, before that, I like I say, the Manics had been my band before that. I was also into a bunch of other bands. Like um, people say around that time that music had gone a bit kind of quiet and that bands were people into like Star uh, Star Sailor and Coldplay and that kind of thing. It was kind of a quieter, kind of more acoustic sound. But I was kind of looking at that myself and thinking about that and thinking actually, yeah, that was the case a lot of it. But like I say, from uh, a Manix fan background, I was into a load of other bands around at that time too. Because at that point you also had, I suppose they were kind of at the end of their, their time, but bands like Placebo, and, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a whole kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess the best way to describe it is kind of like a glam kind of indie thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another band that I was really into, and I am um, Melody Maker used to talk about them a lot. There's a band called King Adora. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm so into, that's it. I proper into them at that point. Um, looking back, they only, I mean, they had they had one album eventually. Um, what songs did they do? It was Big Isn't Beautiful, um, Bionic. Bionic was a bit of a tune. Um, so properly into that. 
and also another band called JJ72. Um, yeah. I was really into them as well. So although the whole sort of music scene had kind of died off a bit, there were a few bands out there who were really still trying to trying to get something a bit more kind of a bit more active going, a bit more, I don't know, you could go to bands and still have a bit of a mosh in the gigs. Um, so yeah, I was, I was proper into them. And so that was all kind of going on in, in London, as well as say the Strokes and, and everyone were kicking off at the same time. Um, so I used to go to, when I first went to London, I used to go to a club night um, called Stay Beautiful Club. It was kind of like a Manic Street Preachers Club. It was run by Simon Price, the guy who, did, who wrote the Manic biography. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went there obsessively pretty much. Like I think it was a monthly club. So, uh, yeah, I went there pretty much every month. I had a group of mates who would meet up with beforehand as a, a gang of us, really, and we'd go and sit in Soho Square Gardens and just have, like, a little picnicky kind of drink thing in the afternoon. And then we'd go on to Camden Town in the evening um, and then go on, to, uh, go to, like, the World's End in Camden Town for a few drinks and then go on to Stay Beautiful Club then. So that was a whole kind of thing. And, like I say, it kind of felt built around, like I say, that that's kind of glam indie kind of thing that was going on. Um, very eclectic playlists that they'd play. Go and go back to like, like I say, David Bowie and Blondie and and Sex Pistols and all of that seventies kind of punk thing with a bit of an eighties new new romantic thing going on as well. So um, I was into that that kind of scene at the time. Um, but then, as I say, the strokes came out. They kind of blew everything up, really took my interest elsewhere. Um, I went to see the strokes play in Brixham Academy. For the first, I think it was the first Brixham Academy gig anyway, um, in 2001. Um, it was during one of the summer holidays. So actually, my brother drove me and him up. I think another mate as well. Um, so we drove up for that strokes gig, driving up from Devon. And I remember there were traffic jams or something so we literally got there at nine o'clock just as just as the strokes came on stage so we were really really uh, half gutted that we'd missed the the, the uh, support acts and and you know didn't get to settle in but we were really pleased that as soon as we got there the strokes were starting basically so what would that um, be would that have been their would that have been their first british gig no not the first british gig because i'm sure i i i'm not too sure about how they actually kicked off in the UK, but I'm quite sure they played uh, a few smaller tours as tours of like smaller mm-hmm. venues before then. I know some, I've heard someone say about them playing in Brighton um, and a couple other gigs. So no, I think they did a, a, a UK tour of some smaller venues. Right. But um, yeah, I can mind them when they just kicked off, when they just kind of came to Britain and um, they weren't on the bill for Teen Apart. I can't, I can't remember who pulled out the team apart, but they they were put in as replacements, and nobody knew they were coming on. Other, I don't know how I knew that they were playing, but I was there. I was right down the front, and it was like it was wild. The album wasn't out or anything at this point, but it it was completely yeah. wild. And I was down the front with a, you mind Alfie, you mind the band Alfie from Manchester. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I met the, I met the lead singer right down the front at Teen Park watching the Strokes which kind of blew my mind because Alfie's probably the furthest away from the Strokes 
but I I can mind that, and nobody <laughs> nobody else seemed to know who they were apart from me, and my mate. I'm sure I'm sure it like the sixty odd thousand <laughs> that were there. There must have been other people that had heard of them before, but I it was it was a brilliant time with the Strokes coming out. It just re-energized music, didn't it? Yeah, without a doubt, it did. And um, like I say, it was the Strokes and the White Stripes kind of came along at the same time, didn't they, really? But the yeah. Strokes, I think, had the biggest impact. I might be wrong, but I felt like the Strokes had the biggest kind of impact live. Um, yeah, I think to go and watch the Strokes gigs was, was proper something. What year did you see them in Tea in the Park then? Would that have been 2000 or 2001? I don't know. I mean, I went to Tea in the Park late. Eight or nine years in a row, so they all blur into one. Been, been a, <laughs> um, I've actually I'm interviewing Mark Morris on Tuesday, and that, the Blue Tones played that year as well, the same year. So oh, I'd, yeah. need to go, I'd need to go back and check my records, but I it must have been, I think it was, um, it must have been 2001. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think when the, the Twin Towers and all that, because yeah. the album came out. No long after the the Twin Towers, and obviously Tina Park was in June, so it must have been just before that. Yeah, but knows? Well, we're all too old for this for for how keep my encyclopedic memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it definitely sounds about the same time as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was and like you saying about two thousand and one, then with, with September eleventh and everything, that was. The, the summer before I went to uni. So that was, yeah, we'd driven up from Devon. Um, and then the September after that, I went off to uni around the same time as 9-11 and everything. So yeah, it was a really kind of crazy time to look at that. There's a lot going on at that point when you look back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that kind of, that was massive when, when the Strokes played in Brixton Academy. That was a really big moment. Um, and uh, I suppose when I'm talking about the Stay Beautiful thing, that all happened after that Strokes gig then. It's funny when you look back, because I think I'm, I'm kind of the same as you in a way. A lot of the memories merge into one and the time, the timelines all kind of swap yeah. around and everything. But um, yeah, to put things in order, that would have been the Strokes. I would have gone to see the Strokes and then went on to uni after that. And, and that's when everything kicked off. Um, uh, saying about Stay Beautiful and other things that were going on at that time there's another band called Easy World who I kind of followed quite a lot as well and they played a lot of gigs in London at that time they were the same kind of sound really as I think they they supported King Adora and they were around that whole kind of scene little scene that was happening um so I met a lot of people through that um and also the other band kind of at that point um that I was kind of interested in were The Darkness they were kind of coming up around the same time as well. And again, they were kind of involved in that whole little scene that was going on. And um, actually, I ended up being in the first, I think it was the first music video. A friend of mine had, um, he, I think he knew Justin Hawkins at the time or had met him a few times. And um he either knew through him that the band were doing this music video or they published online on the website asking people to go along. But anyway, we down, went down to that and it was at the, my memory serves right, it was at the Mean Fiddler in London <laughs> on, um, I think it was on Charing Cross Road. And uh, yeah, it was for their song. It was, I think it was the song before I believe in the 
thing called love. It was called Get Your Hands Off My Woman Motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The darkness style. Um, so, yeah, we went down for that one, that video shoot. So that was interesting. And uh, you can actually see me in the video if you pause it at the right time. <laughs> and, right, uh, I'm going to get that. That'll be up in the show notes for everybody if I read. I think it's available on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah, and I kind of see that whole that whole era really in my mind in my memory is kind of like the pre-libertines time because for me what really kicked everything off um was sort of the libertines that was when my my kind of interest really kind of peaked i really felt like i was involved in something at that point um they were sort of like i say up until that point the manics had always been my band i'd been into them massively and then as soon as the libertines came on like, like i was massively into the libertines instead um and i got into them in a roundabout way um i was staying with a friend of mine up in derby and um she said she had tickets to go and watch the libertines uh, she'd seen them before she was, was really into them um so yeah she 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 asked if i wanted the ticket so took that we went over to derby um and uh actually I'll, I'll first of all i'll say like how i listened to them first of all the waste the single came out and i was kind of into that but not massively i think i kind of picked it up in our price at one point i think it was like a, a, a 199 cd single or something they'd been talked about in in the enemy and, and melody maker so i was kind of interested in them but they hadn't really kind of grabbed me um uh probably preferred i get along to what a waster but it, you know it was still good but then yeah. anyway i was sat in you said there obviously the sound of the band like they hadn't grabbed you straight away i'm pretty sure i've seen them in the, the front enme before i heard yeah. them and it was the look it was the look that got me as soon as i seen the look yeah. uh, i think pete had it like the england top on or something and they were lying on a union jack i just thought they looked cool as fuck and that's how I then went and listened to them through that. So, so you kind of went the opposite way. You the music before the the look. Yeah, and you know what? The first, I mean, well, the, I kind of look at that and think of the roundabout reason why why that was because I was massively again I was really into the music press. Like I say, I read music biographies, really into music press. But my thing, and I think you've mentioned this before actually in some of the, your podcasts, I was always more of a melody maker reader than an enemy reader. Yeah, and, it was um, just a shiny magazine at the time, wasn't it? And NME was NME yeah. was bigger, and Melody Maker just seemed so compact and so colourful compared to NME. It was, and also the bands that I'm talking that I've talked about before previously, like um, I, I think up until a certain point, Melody Maker was like a, a manic um fanzine really <laughs> they referred to them so often but um melody maker seemed to talk um yeah melody maker seemed to talk about more those bands more um i don't know i, I kind of at that point I've, I've revised everything now i kind of look at things differently now but i just remember when i was younger like teenager 17 16 year old it's kind of felt enemy was a little bit more stuffy i don't know um but yeah mm. it, it's certainly changed now but at that moment i just wanted something kind of loud and exciting <laughs> and uh so i kind of felt at that point i got that more from melody maker but um so when the enemy were writing about the libertines i think the melody maker may have gone under by then anyway but um i was still 
not a massive enemy reader. So I don't even know if if the Libertines being on the cover of the enemy at the time may have passed me by. I think I'd heard about them on like Steve Lamap mm-hmm. and um, yeah, kind of hearing them on the radio and things. Um, but yeah, they, the, the, they definitely had the image and everything. And I think that may be the reason why I got kind of really into them after seeing them play live. But I do remember though, I, I was sat on my friend's sofa um, before we went to the gig. I think it was a day before we went to the gig. I was in a man and I went to take the ticket. And um, I think it was one of the first plays of the song Up the Bracket on XFM. And mm-hmm. I heard it and that made my jaw drop. Uh, just listening to that song. It was so, something about it was, uh, so I, I think it is a, you can't really say, yeah, it it was sort of really upbeat, really much more of a, I don't know, more of a punky single really than what A Waster and, and I Get Along were. Um, mm-hmm. There was a real sound to it. Um, yeah, it just, I was into it straight away, like I say, and uh yeah, I, I snatched those tickets up from her then when she'd offered them. I was like, yeah, definitely, I'll, I'll come and go and see them. So we went to watch them in Derby, um, at the Vic Inn in Derby. And um, it was a, a stunning gig. Um, first of all, when we got there, we got there really early for some reason. It must have been like five o'clock in the afternoon. And we were just stood there in the room, um, in the front bar sort of thing there was a the gig was happening in the back bar but we were there in the front bar i think it was only us who were there really when we got in the couple locals and then um we were playing pinball on the table and then pete doherty came through the door and then went and stood at the bar and ordered a drink and we were like what because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> again you know we'd seen him he was there in a like a park a green parker jacket kind of thing sat down and had a drink and the two friends who i was with they went over to speak to him. I think they'd met, well, they had met him before at a previous gig. So they, they chatted to him before. I don't know if he remembered them or not. But they they went up and bounded up and started chatting to him. And they said to him, like, oh, are you and Carl going to have a fight at this gig? Because it had been written about in Enemy that they'd, they'd fit, fought before. And mm-hmm. and uh, and he said, uh, no, I'm not going to fight Carl. I'm going to fight him. And then he pointed at me. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Proper awkward then, and like <laughs> shuffled off. He's a um, big guy, Israel. He is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was sat down on the on the bar, uh, a little bar stool then, or else I think I'd have felt even more intimidated. If it's, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of uh, my introduction then, and uh, yeah, and we stayed there for the rest of the evening. And obviously, the gig came on, and you've done uh, a podcast with Anthony Thornton before, and I think. I think it was your podcast you described of like what one of the, well, his first Libertines gig was like. It was a pretty similar experience, to be honest. I remember yeah. Anthony saying that the band kind of came from the back of the room, didn't they? And they walked through the crowd to the front. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so they, they did the same there. And um, when they were playing on stage, there was no, well, there was no stage from what I remember. It was, they were literally playing in front of us. I was right at the very front. And, um, physically there was no boundary between the band and the stage so uh i was right near the front and constantly getting pushed onward basically so you stood next to the band really while they were trying to play there were roadies there pushing everyone (laughs) pushing the (laughs) crowd trying to keep the crowd off the stage and i just remember them just playing through this set and it just hurtled through it must have only gone on for like half an hour but they just 
didn't give up the whole time. It was absolutely stunning. Like I've been to, like I say, I'd, I'd watched a fair few bands there and I'd watch like, you know, your Idlewilds and your Embraces and, and Super Animals and loads of bands, but this was just something completely different. And then yeah. looking back, it was kind of, I, I, the only thing I can really describe it to is the difference between like watching a band, like watching one of the 70s punk bands and then comparing it to like indie bands that you've seen before. And there's a massive difference. And, and yeah, this felt like it felt authentic. It felt like stepping back like 20 years time, basically. And yeah, that was stunning. It, it was amazing. Um, still look back on that gig now. And uh, uh, yeah. This is a thing as well. See, see with that gig and like your memories of that. It's, it must be the same for so many people up and down the country, like how much going to see the Libertines for the first time captivated them because it's completely, as you say, completely different for how other gigs go. You, like you go and stand in front of a stage and that's it, where with the Libertines, the lines are all blurred. It's all, the, 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 the band and the fans are all just as one. So it, it's kind of, yeah. they changed the, the kind of course of how music is played and consumed and everything really at that time. Definitely. And I think the the other thing about that evening as well, and like you say, it's, you talk about the band, the, the kind of the line being taken away from the band and the fans. Um, after the gig, one of the um, guitar techs or something came up and they, they went to my friends, oh, do you want to, do you want to hang around after? and go to go out like with the band so like yeah right and right so uh we hung around afterwards and number one you see the uh the changing room with the band it was just absolutely covered by by people who were just going to like speak to them afterwards and they had the door wide open so yeah they like other founders they had to walk up there chat to them and everything and they were really kind of welcoming it all really i'd never seen that before after a gig and i don't think i've seen it since really mm. um but then afterwards anyway we we stuck around to the proper end because um actually my friends have been asked to and uh there must have been a group of about 10 of us i think um i'd had a few to drink by now i don't, I don't remember a great deal of like who else was around or anything yeah but yeah it's about 10 of us or so and we went on to a bar called the blue note in derby uh, i've never been back to derby since but i've heard the the name of the blue note and yeah the band like we were just walking it was really random we we're just walking up to the blue note with the libertines <laughs> really true. And, that, and at that point i had a bit of a chat with pete as well and they were passing around you know he, he did his books of albion um some of the people were passing them around, they passed it on to me, and I scribble wrote down in, in, in the book of Albion. <laughs> and yeah, it was a really like I say, it was that point, like I don't know, more so than any band I'd seen, they really broke down that barrier between between the bands and the fans. That was sort of a an introduction to that too. How how did you feel like watching the, the story play out throughout the years in NME? It was interesting because yeah, everything was going on in the enemy. I mean, it was played out uh, um, we we kind of saw two kind of timelines happening because yeah everything was playing out in the tabloids in in the enemy in the music press but also another major thing about the libertines were the way they used the internet so mm-hmm. i was like ferociously going on dot org i was a massive dot orger <laughs> um 
again, they were one of the first bands to really embrace the sort of the internet. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd been an internet user for years. That was another, that was another point about kind of me when I was growing up in Devon, one of the only things I had to do from a very early age, probably like 14, 15, live in the middle of nowhere is go online, go on the internet. I was a really kind of early adopter there as well. But yeah, um, so yeah, the, the Libertines had the libertines.org and um, Pete would go on .org and post um, under the name Heavy Horse. So mm -hmm. uh, everything that was going on in everything that the enemy reported, it was almost like they'd got that information from .org really, <laughs> from what was happening there. So it was as if we, we saw it all play out firsthand um, and then it was written about after the fact. Mm -hmm. But um. Yeah, I don't know. It was there was definitely a lot of drama with with that band. A lot of you never did you ever fall out of love with them? Because I never, like from my point of view, I never gave up on them. I was always worried about Pete and just how it was all going to end. But I never, like, as much as the, the Sun and all these other red tops tried to kind of vilify him, I think the majority of the, the fans just stayed with him to the end. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I, I felt that way. Um, yeah, I, I never really, I, I, like I said, I was a fan through and through. Um, they're brilliant. It was almost as if they, yeah, they would write these things about them, but you'd be like, well, you know, that's that's kind of not, not the whole story, is it? There was always another kind of yeah. another side to it. Um, yeah, I don't know when people write when the papers wrote about about Pete and everything that he was doing. They always made it, I don't know, seem pretty. It, oh, it was Graham, wasn't it? It was, it, yeah. it was Graham. So many, I could, obviously, like, I was at that age where, like, my mum and dad knew that I liked um, the Libertines, Pete Docker. You know what mums and dads are like whenever they see it in the paper? They was all oh, he's in the paper today. And then it got to a point where they, they wouldn't comment when he was in the paper because obviously they didn't condone all the stuff he was doing, but again, it's it's written for a different perspective. That was it. I mean, yeah, they, that, that was the perspective they wrote in front of. When they write, you know, when the son wrote about it, it was never about the music. They they, they, they were just talking about what he was doing. It yeah. was never in anything about the music. And uh, I suppose when they started writing about Libertines, they only had up the bracket out, didn't they? Like, that was the main, that was the one album at that point. Um, <laughs> and then when the second album came out, um, that was when, I don't know, things had already been written about them by that point. But um, I don't know, I was I, I was just always more interested in the music. And again, looking back, when I talk about the first album, the second album, um, even at that point, the, the main thing that really got me was um, between the first album and the second album, Pete would go on online, well, Pete went online, and he basically uh, had a load of demos uploaded, the Baby mm -hmm. Shambles sessions. Now, yeah. Up the Bracket an amazing, was an amazing album, obviously stunning. You know, there's so much in there, horror show and um, Death on the Stairs, like excellent songs. But what really kind of took it to another level was the Baby Shambles sessions. It was like, you had Up the Bracket, which is like very punkish, but then the Baby Shambles sessions were, it was like an acoustic kind of sound really, wasn't it? It was a lot more... 
I don't know, consider not considering thought for it. It was just a different side to the band, really. And yeah. it showed a bit of more of a depth to them. Um yeah, th- th- something more to r- really get stuck into and involved in. I think that was what what really made me made me think when he's you know in in the sun in in all the all the papers and you know, all these big stories. You're like, no, but then they you know they've gone and released the baby shampoo sessions. That's a it's a whole different thing, you know. It, it, yeah, there was definitely yeah. kind of showed more of a depth to them. Yeah, I mean there was so much. I I had like. I had so many of the bootleg CDs. Um, I don't know where they are now. I've probably got them somewhere in the house. I'm pretty sure they released quite a bit of it on Spotify, like for the anniversary Up the Bracket. I think you can get a lot of it now on there. Yeah. As I say, the Up the Bracket, the the demos and things that came out on the Up the Bracket, that was like, I remember at the time, See, Pete used to go on .org and he'd, he'd post lists of, of, of like sessions, demo sessions he'd done, but only mentioned the name. So there are all these song titles out there, but you'd never heard the actual songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's loads of them out there. And um, the the re-release, the up the bracket re-release, that they put out like the, um, what do you call it, the outtakes from the original up the bracket recording. So I remember the main ones we wanted to hear from that were... Um, the Wolfman, the song Wolfman. Um, on the back of the album, they'd written Brett Road Lover, hadn't they? And then crossed it out and then written Yeah. Um, it's me, which song they put in place now. But um, I'd always wanted to hear that version of Brett Road Lover. Um, so, yeah, all these outtakes from Up the Bracket, and they were kind of mythical, I suppose. So, when they actually released that, the, 20, the, the box set, it was like, it's amazing to actually have them. But there was also the Baby Shamble sessions. There was the Chicken Shack session. There mm-hmm. was um, uh, Acoustical Lullaby. Um, there was, I don't know, there's a, another one now. Um, I can't remember it. But yeah, there were all these different ones that he put online. So he was drip feeding kind of songs out there. Um, th- like rather than actually releasing them. So that was that was really good. Um yeah, funny to talk about acoustic, yeah, acoustical lullabies. He, um, yeah, they were all amazing. Yeah, that was really good. I need to find them, but saying that, I mean, I've got them on CD somewhere, but I don't even know if my CD player works anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Get them on MP3s on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> we'll continue on with the Libertines, but there were a lot of other bands at the same time, obviously, like, kind of, Run the edge of the scene. So, what other bands were you into through the Libertines? So, kind of, yeah, through the Libertines, I got I got to know a bunch of people, kind of being around London, um, and and kind of most. Of the, I think we met through the Libertines gigs or through .org and kind of meeting up in real life, um, and there was a group of bands kind of that are centered around well not centered around but the others do you remember uh-huh. them yeah. yeah so the others um there would have been uh the unstrung um the paddingtons um there were special needs were stunning they were amazing um band called mardus and there's all this group of bands and basically um they all got signed to well i think it was all of them 
a lot of them got signed to Pop Tones, kind of Alan McGee's record label. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was a, that. That was like a core of bands, a core group of bands. So yeah, there were so many. There's so much music going on. So many bands happening at that time. Um, yeah, yeah. Kill City as well, obviously. Kill City were excellent. Um, again, a lot of a lot of things happened at that time were kind of announced through .org. And looking at Kill City, then um, the Libertines would go on, and they would uh, kind of advertise gigs sometimes that they were doing. Uh, they did one in the Albion rooms. Um, they did a lot. Pete did a lot in his flat as well, but. The first time I saw Kill City was, I think it was one of the first times that they had announced a gig on .org. Um, they announced something it was called Busking for Beer at Filthy McMasty's. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that time already, I'd read plenty on .org about Filthy McMasty's. Um, Pete would post about them. Other people that band knew would post about Filthy McMasty's because obviously like a major part of the Liberty story. But they posted the about this gig that they were, I think they said Libertines were supposed to be playing it. Um, so I went down with a couple other people that I'd met from the gigs. And we went into Phil from Atlassi. First of all, it wasn't what I'd expected to start with. It was just like a bar. Um, and I thought, oh, it's, it's quite quiet in here. But then there was a kind of opened the way out to a back room. And there was, it's still quite a small back room, but it was like a back room of a pub. But uh, they had... I don't think they had the stage again, or if they did it, it as only a small one at the front, but it's more like a venue kind of thing, you know, rather than just the bar in the front. Um, and this venue slowly just got packed and it properly filled up. And then the bands coming up started to come on. I can't remember the first band who came on, but the second band that came on were Kill City. And um they they're really good. I saw them numerous times later on. But um I just remember it had Pete um Pete Welsh, Pete Jones, uh-huh. I heard on the podcast as well. Um, and Lisa Morish was the singer, obviously. Um, she's excellent. They had some really quality songs. Uh, obviously, hearing them live at that gig, it was quite ramshackle at that point. I think it was one, don't quote me on this, but I think it's probably one of the earliest kind of first gigs that they played as a band, I believe. Um, but yeah, we saw them a bunch more later on. But uh, about that one gig, though, the, the Libertines never actually played. <laughs> I think they were built to, <laughs> but they never did. <laughs> um, but yeah, they 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 played at Filthy McMassey's later on uh, other nights. And uh, yeah, you saw some uh, very packed Libertines gigs in there. I think uh, the band ended up standing on tables to play and stuff. <laughs> but yeah. There was, um, there were so many big gigs as well, like, Kind of iconic gigs, obviously, like the chat, Chatham, the Tapping Town when Pete got out of jail. There's so many of these stories that you could, I could get a fan on every week to, to discuss them. It's just trying to find them all on the, the internet. I'm going to tap into your contacts later on. See who see this is, you. Well, this is a major thing that, that, that kind of I'm always stunned by, really. I mean, this whole period of time, like 2002 to 2000, well, going on to the whole indie sleaze kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I think the early part of it, the 2002 to 2005 time, it doesn't really get talked about a lot, I suppose. Uh, It Mm. it might sound funny to say, but 
it doesn't like you get the libertines obviously people talk about them they know what happened there but all of the other bands who are around it have kind of just almost sort of been forgotten i mean the others then i'm still mates with dominic now um and they've re they released an album um last two months ago yeah and they did a, a gig in london but it all kind of seems to have gone under the radar a bit it's not really um been kind of put out there they released it completely themselves um they put all their music on spotify now as well which took a long time uh but yeah they put the album out and personally i think the album they've just released is is the best thing they've done since their debut album is really mm -hmm. really good it just shows you though doesn't it what what the where industry barking um yeah it's almost impossible to get anywhere now yeah Definitely, like I say, they they put that out themselves. I think when I when I put a review of that album out on Edge of Arcadia, actually, that's the only <laughs> that's the only time that album's been interviewed, <laughs> uh, been reviewed even, not interviewed. I think then they're relying on people like like me and yourself to kind of people that were fans to kind of keep shining a light on them because nobody else seems to bother. That's the thing. I mean, all of it, like I say about the others, all of those bands, really. I mean, I mentioned a bunch of them. Paddington's were another one. They went on to they went on to have a bit where they had the most success, really, out of all of those those groups. Mm -hmm. They had, what, two albums, I think? Yeah. Three albums, was it? Um, and, and tours, they went, they were touring for a while. I think they carried on till about 2012, 2013, I believe. Um and they've reformed now, so they're still out and about. Um, yeah. I went to see them last year in Glasgow, and it was it was kind of like back to the old school. Like the stage was just like a wee step above. I was right down the front, practically yeah. singing into the mic with them. <laughs> they were really good. Yeah, they were great throughout. I saw them, the last time I saw them play was in Manchester. Um, lived in Manchester for a couple of years. That would have been two thousand and eleven, I think. Um, but that was good. It was a tiny venue, though. They played in the, what was it called? The Roadhouse, I think it was called. I don't know if it's still there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was really good. And the other band, um, the main other band, are massively kind of underrated and almost forgotten about, really, is Special Needs. Um, they were excellent. We used to go and watch them play so many times in London. Um, they played excellent excellent gig stunning gig zap the singer was like a complete one-off he's like a, a crooner kind of fronting i don't know like bell and sebastian or something <laughs> that sort of sound um but no and yeah the music was kind of like throwback to sort of 60s doo-wop kind of thing with modern at the time kind of indie indie edge um they're excellent they've got an album out on it's on Spotify, you can hear that, but it's one of the best albums kind of from that period. And it's just like I say, it's never, never really spoken about. Um, they deserved a lot more attention than they got at the time. They were signed to Pop Tones as well. Um, I think did Pop Tones release one single from them or maybe two. And they also recorded the album. It was funded by Pop Tones, but it was never released by the label. Um, it was released later on. I I don't know. I think Poptons might have gone and might have been closed by then. Um, but yeah, it was released later on by another independent label and really pleased it was because, like I say, it's an excellent album. I still listen to it now. It still stands up to listen. Um, Fun Fairs and Heartbreaks is called. It's a really good listen. 
And the other, I suppose the other main band from that time as well, Razorlight. Um, <laughs> again, what they turned into something totally different <laughs> later, further down the line. Although I still enjoy them now, they're still good. And again, their last album, I think, was was actually a return to form. But the first Razorlight album, um, no, the first Razorlight gigs, really, they felt the same as the first Libertines gigs sounded. Um, mm. used to go and watch them at the Barfly in Camden. Um, um, yeah, they were excellent. They had a real sound. When they first started off, they sounded more like television. Um, I think Johnny Burrell had a bit of a Patti Smith obsession as well. Um, but they sounded a lot more sort of authentic 70s sort of new wave. Um, but it was such a captivating character as well, Johnny Burrell, wasn't he? And, yeah. I mean, I spoke about it quite a bit on the podcast. I, I don't understand how they, they could ever have worked as a band like with Johnny Burrell and the Libertines. It just, you couldn't have had all the characters. It, it would have imploded even even worse than it did with them. Yeah, I think so. It just wouldn't have worked. He had such a, had an ego on him, didn't he, Johnny Burrell? <laughs> but he, <laughs> he just needed to be a front man all the way through, I think. Um, yeah, no, they were really good. There was one, there was another, there was a gig though that I saw around that time um, I guess it had been posted online it was uh, like a Johnny Burrell solo gig in the Buffalo Bar in um, in London Highgate she went to that and it actually ended up being Johnny Burrell playing and John Hassel as well from the Libertines kind of uh-huh. supporting but when you say a gig it, no one really went along there was only about uh, it must have been about 10 of us. I think I've seen a photo of it since. And it's literally a, a, a round of seats at the side of the venue. And we were kind of sat down on them. And Johnny Burrell was perched on the back of the seat, just playing guitar there. I don't even know if he was plugged in. But uh, yeah, that was a weird memory. Um, and yeah, John Hassel was playing, I suppose, early Yeti songs at that point. Um Yeah, I remember that one. It's a bit of a, <laughs> a strange one-off gig. You mentioned when our in our first correspondence, you meant you mentioned Queens and Noise as well. Um, so what's your story with them? So Queens and Noise, they they were basically some of the best um, club nights around at that time. Would have been in the Barfly in Camden, and the Queens and Noise were DJing. Um, the first time I ever went to a Queens and Noise uh, DJ set then was. It's 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 been written about before the when the Libertines played um a gig at the Teasdale Street Albion Rooms. It was the first kind of gig they did where they opened up their own flat and, and everyone went along. Mm. Um so that had been advertised online. Went along to that gig. Um I met Anthony Thornton there as well from the enemy. I kind of knew him going on a bit. Um but that was amazing. Um the Teasdale Street Alwyn Rooms gig. Though again, there would only have been about. I look back on that now, and and I thought there were many more people there than there actually were. But I've seen photos of it, and I think there must have been like 20, 30 people there, a really small amount. Um, yeah. But again, that was that was great. Um, memories kind of blur, and I don't actually remember what songs they played. I think I remember them playing "Don't Look Back Into the Sun" for the first time. I think live at all. Right. Um, and that was before it had been released, before, yeah, before it was out on single. Um, 
So went to that gig and there was a whole thing of the police being called. Someone thought someone had broken the window. Um, the scary thing was I was jumping around on on the bed at the back of the room, probably the closest one to a window. <laughs> but I swear <laughs> I didn't break it. I didn't even hear one being smashed, but apparently one was smashed somewhere. Um, so the police came in and everyone was sent you know, on their way. Um, but after that gig, the Queens of Noise were doing a set at the Barfly. So we went up to that. The Queens of Noise have been there at the at the gig as well. Uh -huh. um, That's seeing some of the photos, I think she it was Tabitha and May Reed, wasn't it? Their names. Um, yeah, they were in the photos. But yeah, they they just seem to play all of these 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 uh, brilliant DJ sets with the Barfly. Um, so they did the one that night. And yeah, again, the music they played was sort of, I suppose, mainly like new wave, um, new romantic kind of stuff, I suppose, 70s punk. Yeah, they were brilliant. Um, I saw them DJ countless times. But a funny thing with that night as well, I'd been to, been to the uh, Queens of Noise night at the Barfly. And uh, afterwards, I was waiting outside with my friend who had gone with, and Carl Bratt just came along. And he went, oh, are you coming to the pub? So we are like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he'd recognise me from the, uh, he'd recognise us from the, the gig. So he's like, are you coming to the pub? Like, All right. So he went down, and he was going to the, uh, and again, there was a handful of people going as well, to the Marathon, like there's a bar called the Marathon Bar. It was basically a kebab shop in Camden Town. But the back room, was an after hours sort of club party place is really really bizarre you wouldn't think it to see the little kebab shop in the front <laughs> but we went out there and we spent the evening basically spent the night kind of back and forth seeing kind of carl about the place and there's this one this one bit that sticks in my mind like he'd had a few basically he was a little bit sauce <laughs> but uh he was he was saying to me um Oh, the last time I came here, I came here with Jack and Meg White with the white stripes. I was like, oh, all right. He's like, yeah. Um, I was I was copping off. He said I was copping off with Meg and Jack was getting <laughs> Jack was getting angry in the side. <laughs> all right. He's like, yeah, Jack went and grabbed someone by the neck. So I left Meg alone. <laughs> God, all right. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a, a random anecdote there. <laughs> after after that, like what sort of bands did you follow, like, going forward? With me, being from Scotland, we kind of go our own libertines, like, with, with the view. So mm -hmm. I, like, I've, I've followed them ever since. So what about yourself? Who were, who were your bands kind of after that era? Um, so I suppose after that, I was... It was a bit... It was kind of like after that, I sort of felt music went a bit, a little bit kind of dollar, I suppose, after the whole yeah kind of libertine scene. But the main bands I, I kind of followed, I suppose, after that were you had like the Mystery Jets, didn't you? Um, they they sort of followed on after the libertine scene, and um, I really got interested when the whole new rave thing started when Claxon started. So I was massively into them. And I suppose Jamie T as well. Jamie T is brilliant. He he uh -huh. kind of came in the after aftermath of the Libertines too. Um, he's still going now, just long lulls between the albums, isn't he? <laughs> Obviously, like you said at Glastonbury last year, I thought that was a, the, the best the best set last year at Glastonbury. 
um, absolutely smashed it. And you wouldn't think it. I think it was like eight or nine years or something if he'd played Glastonbury before that, and yeah. it was it was immaculate. He said, "Yeah." He's still brilliant. Um, I've seen him play in Cardiff a couple of times. He still brings it out of the bag every time. And I don't know, I think because he leaves it so long between albums, between kind of going out, I guess he still keeps the, uh, I don't know, the drive for it. He still puts on something every single time. Don't yeah, know, I, was... Them. I, was, I was on Instagram last night and I seen, I don't know if there was rumours that he might be quitting. I don't know. Oh really? Has he got a new album coming out? He brought like no, well, he brought the album out last year. Then he brought a new single out in the lead up to the the Finsbury Park gig. But just oh, from right. what I've seen, just from what I've seen on Instagram, there was there were rumours that he might be calling it a day. I don't know. I, I couldn't find anything to substantiate them. Oh, no. Obviously, he has suffered with anxiety and stuff. I think that's why he's left the gaps between the albums and things like that, but it'd be yeah. definitely be a loss to music. I think so, yeah. He's brilliant. Like I say, he's one of those few artists, every time they bring out an album, you know it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he was kind of, he came for the same kind of scene as Larkin Love as well. Which, yeah. That, that's a band I've seen them in Glasgow at the garage. And again, like the kind of gig you're mentioning, it was... The crowd and the band were just intertwined. It was brilliant. They were like the Libertines, but with a fiddle. Yeah, definitely. Larrican Love, one of the bands as well. They sort of they did spring from the Libertine scene too. Um, again, all of the gigs you go to the the Rhythm Factory gigs um, when the Libertine well when the Libertines or Pete would play Duke of Clarence as well. That little um, kind of squat pub they used to play in. Um, Ed from Larrican Love would always be at those gigs um, with his girlfriend at the time. Um, yeah, they 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 would be there. They were there. They would go into those gigs, and I knew him from those gigs before Larrican Love started. Um, so yeah, they, they were excellent. And again, they were another band who could have should have gone on to do bigger yeah. things than they did. But the one album is is really good. And again, I look, go back to that album now a lot. Um, but yeah, again, they were another band who's, who sort of sprung up from that that whole scene. And the other band, another band who sprung up from that whole scene as well were, um, do you know Spectre? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Fred McPherson from Spectre, he used to go to others' gigs. Um, and he posted on Libertines.org as well. But um, yeah, he went to all those gigs. And then he was in Les Incompetents. Uh, that was his first band. He went on to do another band called Ox Eagle Lion Man. Um, and then he went on to do Spectre afterwards. And uh, yeah, they're excellent. They're another band of brilliant Spectre. Um, I've seen them a few times now. Play Cardiff, Bristol. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many bands and, and how many people really sort of came from that, that Libertine scene. It's, it's countless. I could sit here for ages kind of reeling off people, names, bands who, who came from there. Yeah, um, that's one of the other things that I've, I kind of mentioned quite a bit in the, the podcast. Obviously, again, as I say, for me being up in Scotland, like when the Libertines kind of split, obviously the view kind of came about through getting a gig with Baby Shambles. Like Pete Docker, he seemed to take them under his wing to point 
the drummer get arrested driving about London with Pete Doherty. Um, mm-hmm. But then the other side of it, Las Vegas, kind of were championed by Carl and Alan McGee. So it, it seemed odd that you had these two big, they were like the biggest Scottish bands at that time, and they were both kind of championed by one of the Libertines. It seemed like a wee private competition between Pete and Carl. <laughs> that was the other thing with 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 the Libertines though as well. They had all the different like it was almost like they had different outposts of fans as well. And it was a big kind of group of Libertines fans up in Glasgow too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if um if yeah if, if they were involved in in that group at all. I don't know. Yeah. So like going forward about then maybe I went away for the music as such, but into your writing. How did um, the blog come like what was the what was the thinking behind that why did you start up the blog well i've i don't know i suppose like i say in earlier i i've always liked writing um and in the early days i i had ideas of wanting to be like music journalist or something but then life kind of gets in the way and and you know mm-hmm. got my day job and everything and and all of that but in the back in the back of my mind it was always like yeah but I kind of wish you know I'd like to give that a go do something with that and and all the time over the last what 15 20 years I've still done little bits of like having these little blogs where I'll write bits and pieces here and there but never really did anything with them but um it was Two years ago now, I think, I, I just thought, right, well, how about I just try and do this properly? I always say, like, oh, you know, I'd like to uh, like to write music reviews here and there. I just thought, no, well, buckle down and actually do it then. So mm-hmm. um, I started this blog. I thought on a while for a name, um, and I came up with Edge of Arcady, obviously named after, named after the arcadian dream kind of libertines thing um and yeah i i I just decided to throw myself into writing reviews Uh, at the beginning i really stuck at it i think i was writing a a review every day really um for the first year or so that i was doing it i was really hot on it writing a lot um Mm -hmm. it's kind of slowed down at the moment but it's just yeah it's because number one i i wanted to write number two as well as that, I just wanted to be able to get um, just music out there. I, 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 I talk about these bands who no one really speaks about anymore, but also um, like from, from back in the day. But um, I just think it's hard for new bands at the moment to kind of make it. Yeah. In the world, it, it's a different world that we're in. You don't have things like the evening session with Steve Lamatt. You don't have the music press writing about new music every week. Um, I think word of mouth for new bands is done on social media, not so much through through blogs now, I think. Even blogs feels like a dying or, or, or dead art, really. <laughs> um, mm. But, you know, I think it's still important for, for music writing to be out there. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to wanted to contribute to that, I suppose. Um, and and again, it's, it's probably two things I, I like in life. Like, say, number one is is music. I'm, I'm massively into music, and the other one is reading and writing. Um, so 
both of them came to the head in Edge of Arcade. Yeah, it, it's funny how uh, there, there must be loads of these different me projects, like obviously, like, like your blog and my podcast. Um, clearly, clearly, Libertines fans naming their, their stuff after um, Libertines type stuff. Edge of Arcade, Time for Heroes podcast. There must be a few more stuff out there. Um, yeah. How do you go about your reviews? Have you do you just choose your what you're going to review? Have you got any contacts around like PR that that hit you up or anything like that? So, um, first of all, I I was writing just about the music that I liked that I came across on on Spotify, but um, since then, I do have music PR people who come and, and email through. Um, my mailbox gets like, I don't know, five emails a day or something in there. And I could never read through all of that, those sound, mm-hmm. all of the music, but I, I pick out the ones that sound most interesting to me. Um, so I look at those as well. Um, it, yeah. But then I also do like getting on Spotify and, and finding bands for myself, finding new bands. And also more recently, I've really tried to have a drive writing about local kind of Cardiff based bands um uh-huh. welsh based bands really um because there seems to be a big um a good music scene in 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 cardiff at the moment and in wales there's a lot of bands out there i don't get to as i don't get to many gigs anymore so i don't get to write live reviews mm-hmm. but um i try and write about the the singles the eps when they come out um when i hear about them um yeah, so there is a bit of uh, PRs and things coming through the the inbox, but ideally, I want to write about stuff that I've kind of found or that there's that's come along, or you know, bands message directly as well through Instagram. They'll mm-hmm. help out posting, asking me to write about them, um, and yeah, it just kind of. I wish I had more hours to <laughs> to write about music, to be honest, because yeah, it, it's there's hard so much out there. It, yeah, it's really hard juggling a a, a full time job and. Doing this, I mean, it's the summer holidays now up here, so I see I've got four podcast, four interviews booked this week, but yeah. I could sometimes I could go a couple of months between guests, but I've got just at the moment I've got a rich vein of guests coming out. I've got plenty of episodes in the the back burner. I as hard man, it's a hard slog, but stick with it because. I've I've checked out the blog and it's it's really good. It's really good writing and it's the sort of thing that there, there should be more of. Obviously, I'll be directing people to the blog and the show notes, but um, just tell people obviously name of the blog and where they can find it. Yeah, so that's Edge of Arcade. Um, you can find it by going to the website, www.edgeofarcade.com. It's also on all of the social medias as well, so you can go on Instagram or, or Twitter um, or or get on good good old Google. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely we'll get that up in the show notes. Is there anything else you'd like to speak about before we go into Heroes? Um, I think we covered covered a yeah. lot of it there to be honest i could i could probably talk for ages for hours about <laughs> about all of that the whole period of time but yeah no i think we've yeah. touched on major we could maybe there. get you in for a part two or something 
maybe episode 100 uh, or something. We're, we're nearly at the 50 mark, so we maybe do it every 50 episodes. That gives, <laughs> that gives me the drive to get to the next um, the next landmark, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I, obviously, as we always discuss at the end, Time for Heroes podcast, ask for four heroes, and you're a big listener to the podcast, so I know that you know that people don't stick to the four, but I, a selection of heroes to come for dinner, and what would you cook them? So I've, I've given this a bit of thought. Um, so hero number one would be, I think it would be Richie Edwards from the Manics. Um, mm-hmm. He's been a, a, a figure that I've always been interested in since I, I got into music. When I, I got into the Manics in, in 1996 with Everything Must Go, but I immediately went further back in the back catalogue um, to Generation Terrorist and Holy Bible. Um, yeah, I, I think the Manics kind of, like I say, shaped a lot about the music that I listened to, the books that I read, and also, I guess as well as an impressionable 13, 14-year-old, sort of my political view as well, because uh, you find yourself sort of, mm-hmm. I don't know, kind of siding with their sort of left, left-wing left kind of uh, interest. So, yeah, they, they kind of coloured everything, really, and I think Richie Edwards was a driving point of that. Um, and also the whole story of if he's if he's alive, if he's missing, where he is, what's going on. I guess if he came to a dinner party, he'd have an answer to that. <laughs> yeah, you'd do, you'd do the big scoop. That's Start it. That <laughs> yeah. <hall. laughs> Edge of excuse. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, he'd, he'd come along for certain. I, th- I think he's still around somewhere. So, yeah, he, he'd come along. Um, guest number two, I would say... Um, I'd invite Lana Del Rey. I'm uh, I like I'm a big big Lana Del Rey fan, funny enough. I think she's a, a very intriguing musical character at the moment. Um would you so, would you tell her she had to be there on time? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> she would. <laughs> no, what did she say? She was doing her hair or something, didn't she, yeah. when she was half an hour late at Glassery? <laughs> So yeah, she'd have to come on time. So uh, Rich Edwards might not stick around. Um, uh, yeah, I just find her really, really good musical character. I suppose her earliest sort of music was very, not very poppy. That first album was more like pop centered, I suppose. Although Video Games was a kind of a David Lynch kind of. Yeah, it's tune. Um, it's a, that song, it's a, it's a beautiful song. It know. is, yeah, it is. Uh, th- th- there was that, but then for her second album, Ultraviolent, she worked with um, the guy from Black Keys, and it's got a whole different sound to it. It's almost like um, it's a lot more sort of a very dark kind of album, kind of brooding sound to it, um, and then. Since then, she she's kind of veered between pop and kind of a more alternative sound. But her most recent albums, uh, she's taken inspiration from like Joni Mitchell and Joan Baez, Baez, um, and Carol King, I suppose, and been more of a a song a songwriter, um, like a folk kind of songwriter, I suppose. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, she she's she's really good. Um, I think she is sort of understood as a bit of a. She's not just seen as a pop artist, is she? Really, so I think people see there's a bit more going on with her music. Yeah. Um, so I invite her along anyway. I think that'd be good. Um, the third person I've chosen, I would invite um, Limmy, the comedian. The Scottish boy. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's he's probably I think he's my favorite comedian. Like full stop. Um, he's excellent. His his TV show was one off, just completely. Mad. Um, you know, I never, I never get into that. I, I mean, I seen a couple of sketches there, um, and like they were funny, but I, I never really watched the show. But in the last six months, started watching them on Twitch. Yeah, he does like he plays the computer games and all that. Or he just he does like rants. I, I seen him like talking about he, he done like a full half hour just analysing the way Liam Payne talks. Yeah. That's just what I is brilliant. Then he is brilliant. He just goes off on off on one. He's on Twitter as well. He, he posts on Twitter. He's just he's excellent. Um, and he's he's released a couple books. He did a, a biography recently. Um, I say recently, a couple of years ago, but he did a, a tour with it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw him uh, do a a gig at the Glee Club in Cardiff. Yeah, he's funny. He's brilliant. Just the stories he comes out with. Um, yeah. Just yeah, he's 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 just funny. He's my, he's my favorite comedian. Um, and then also, I think about the fourth one. I found it hard to come up with the fourth one, but I chose either. I couldn't decide on whether to have Courtney Love or um, Kathleen Hanna, who was like. In a couple like Riot Girl punk bands at the beginning of the nineties, um, right. she started off Bikini Kill and then went on to do La Tigra, and um, I I just think she's kind of like the start of the whole sort of Riot Girl scene, really, as far as I know, um, or a major player in it anyway. She did something really big with it, because um, uh, although I'm into, like I say, Libertines and all the all the bands, uh, I've got a big love for sort of more sort of like female fronted kind of bands as well like punk back because that whole scene's all like male front bands aren't they yeah um, but equally i'd say half of half of the bands are like uh, sort of female fronted and that riot, riot girl is just a, a massive genre um i'm into so like which bands like veruca salt and um yeah, Bikini Kill um, and Hole as well. That's why I wasn't sure between Courtney Love or Kathleen Hanna because I see Kathleen Hanna as a real starter of it, whereas I think Courtney Love kind of co-opted it. Uh-huh. Um, kind of. Well, you you know what I'm like. I'm pretty I'm pretty easy going with that, so you know I'll, I'll let you have both of them. Well, yeah, that, that would be all right. But then I was also going to have a shadow guest, and that was um, I I I kind of feel like I can't. Like I shouldn't say it, but like Morrissey, I I just feel that you know for all of the stuff which he's doing, all the things he's coming out with these days, the dodgy kind of views he has, uh-huh. um, I still kind of feel connected to a lot of his music. Um, obviously the Smiths is stunning, um, but also a lot of his solo stuff. When he's not being an idiot, he actually um, 
Yeah, he just even the solo stuff kind of still touched me. Now his most recent solo song, Rebels Without Rebel Without Applause, um, I think was it's fantastic. It's excellent. Yeah. I mean um, the lyrics that the guys wrote throughout his career are like unrivaled, really. Yeah. You can't argue with the some of some of the lines that he comes up with. And yeah. You can, you can cut somebody in half with one line. Definitely. I just wish he would stop saying the stuff that he says. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the more controversial stuff. I think this day and age, you you can't just spout, we shouldn't. People have a responsibility not just to spout views like that because, you know, they do affect people. Um, yeah, it, it, he just really, I just wish he'd watch, it, watch what he's saying and what he, say, what he thinks. Well, that, I'm gonna. I'll let you have uh, Courtney Love, uh, who's on a run again. Kathleen, uh, Courtney Love, Kathleen Haller, and uh, we'll get Morris in there as well. Because, he can I lurk mean, in the background. Yeah. <laughs> what was your day if um, Morris never turned up, but Rick Astley appeared at the door? <laughs> I mean, he could, he could, he could do a. I'd let him have a sing as well. Yeah, yeah I, mean, right. I can't even <laughs> believe. Um, I watched Glastonbury last weekend and the amount of Rick Astley that I've seen on that iPlayer is like too much to like <laughs> put enough to last a lifetime in like a couple of days. I do like that, that Blossoms project. Yeah. I think that's good. Get the Smiths back out there, it's fine. <laughs> but um, no, I, I wouldn't want to swap um, Morrissey for Rick Astley forever. Let Morrissey <laughs> have, his, <laughs> have his place. <laughs> And what you cooking that's a lot? Oh god, I'm not a well. I've improved as a as a cook, but I'm not the best cook. I I'd cook a I can cook a roast dinner. I'd cook a roast chicken dinner. Right. Have that with all the trimmings, roast potatoes. I had, I had that for dinner tonight. That's what I made tonight for dinner. Oh no! Yeah. Well, they'd get the duck fat potatoes, and I'd I'd go all out and uh, yeah, nice chicken. That's what I could have. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant, fantastic guests again. Um, it's it's getting to the stage now where the guests where people aren't picking the same guests anymore. I, I mean, I think I discussed it with you when I was talking to you um, when we were arranging this and we were talking about how many times John Lennon been picked. <laughs> um, since we had that discussion, I, I don't think anybody's picked him. I think so, people have been listening. They think you're right. Yeah. I've got to go for someone else. Be a bit more Absolute pleasure having you on the night. As I said, I'll put everything in the show notes to direct people to your blog. Is there anywhere else you want them to connect with you? Um, I don't think so, no. Just on the social medias, if they want to email, if, if anyone's got a, a band they'd like me to write about. I don't know if I should be encouraging even more emails through, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure I get a, you know, a, 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 a the best band. So yeah, if anyone wants to email, it's heyritchie at um, edgeofarcady.com Brilliant. Drop me a message. Brilliant. And I'll post your links and all that in the, the show notes. But I for coming on the day, man, an absolute pleasure having you on. You've been a fantastic guest. Cheers. It's been Thank good to you. be on. Thanks for having me. Cool. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes podcast. If you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes podcast, 
or on Instagram at Time for Heroes Podcast or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1 or drop me an email at Time for Heroes Pod at gmail.com. You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Google, and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can, share with others, and more importantly, enjoy. Enjoy.